Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, July 15th, 2022. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Senior Writer, joins me today. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. This week, PW asked the question many in the book trade want an answer for, but fear getting one. Is the sales boom finally over? Well, I think that's a really good place to start for sure. My answer to that question is, I'd say the book sales boom has certainly peaked, though I hesitate to say it's over, and I'll tell you why. Because for me, it's impossible to tell what's over these days, right? Is COVID-19 over? I don't think so. Uh, Supply chain disruptions and printer shortages over? They're being pretty well managed for now, but definitely not over. Uh, Price inflation, the war in Ukraine? Uh Uh-uh. So... As to what's over, I think the jury is still out. Uh, I will say that the sales have probably peaked given the numbers, but who knows what's in store for the second half of the year. But as for the first half, we do have numbers into July now that show the book sales are down about 7% in 2022 from where they were in 2021. Now, the, the AAPs, the Association of American Publishers, their April numbers were just released, and they're down a little bit more than this. But again, I'm going to beat the drum here about what an extraordinary year 2021 was for sales. And 2022, really. In 2020, right around this time, we were starting to see really strong sales kick in, and that growth would continue for the rest of the year. And 2020 would end up defying expectations and turn out to be a very strong year for the book business, even in the wake of the pandemic. But last year, 2021, that's when sales really took off. I think sales finished up about 19% over 2020, which obviously, because I just said, was a strong year. So that we're now giving back about 7% of that in 2022. And in the face of some pretty unprecedented headwinds is not a surprise to anyone. And frankly, personally, I think it's still a remarkable performance. And I look at it this way. At the midpoint of 2022, publishers are still about 15% above the first six months of 2019, which was the last pre-pandemic year. And more good news, the weekly stats from MPD BookScan at least show that book sales are actually settling in. They're pretty stable at this level, about 7% down. So that's showing that we're going to probably finish the year at a pretty good spot. And more good news is that the second quarter declines were actually smaller than the first quarter declines. So sales may even be headed in the right direction too. We shall see. Now, we've said all along that 2022 was going to be off from 2021 because, you know, gravity, you know, 2021 was off the charts. But I think if the trends we see continue, 2022 is on pace to be another really good year for the publishing industry by any objective measure, maybe not against 2021, but objectively speaking, I think publishers will be pleased. In fact, I think if you told any CEO at the beginning of 2022 that this is where they'd be midway through the year against all these challenges, that they'd have signed up for that in a heartbeat. And you can add to that list of challenges, Andrew, worker dissatisfaction. This week, unionized employees at HarperCollins have authorized a one-day strike for July 20th. Yeah, the unionized employees of HarperCollins are set to, to walk off. They're, they're going out on a one-day strike next Wednesday, July 20th. Uh, the union, that's the local 2110 of the UAW, United Auto Workers, they represent about 250 employees in editorial, sales, publicity, design, contracts and legal, I think, and marketing. And their contract expired at the end of last year, and no new agreement has yet been reached. They've been working without a contract thus far into the year. And the union is looking for higher pay and improved family leave benefits. 
but also a greater commitment to diversifying staff and stronger union protection. To say the least, these are complicated times to be in negotiations, right? As we've just been talking about, the publishers are doing very well and have done very well through the pandemic in terms of sales, while publishing workers have reported lots of stress and low pay and a lot of uncertainty. Uh, Work from home is an issue as well. But what I think is really fascinating about this strike, about what the, the workers are really pushing for here at HarperCollins, is that it's really sort of you know, the action is really focused around the lack of action, I should say, on diversity. Publishing workers are demanding better working conditions, but also accountability from upper management. You know, for their part, HarperCollins officials have said they don't comment on negotiations, so we don't really know what's going on there. But we will be keeping an eye on this at PW, and we'll see where this goes. Complimentary motions for summary judgment were filed this week in the copyright infringement case brought by publishers against the Internet Archive over its scheme to scan print copies of library books, then lend them digitally. Yeah, so the battle lines have now been drawn in a lawsuit over the scanning and lending of print library books by the Internet Archive. On one side, uh, the lawyers for Hachette, HarperCollins, Wiley, and Penguin Random House have argued that the Internet Archive's controversial program to scan and lend print library books under an untested legal theory known as controlled digital lending is basically a massive piracy operation uh, masquerading as a not-for-profit library. And in a dueling motion for summary judgment, the Internet Archive counters that its scanning and lending program doesn't harm authors, that it's actually a public good, and that it's protected by fair use. But I guess before we talk about what's in the briefings, maybe we should do a quick primer for our listeners on how we got where we are now, because this case, uh, as our listeners may recall, was filed over two years ago now uh, by the plaintiff publishers, organized, of course, by the Association of American Publishers. Now, at the time the suit was filed, the Internet Archive had actually been scanning and lending books like this for over a decade, going back to, to like 2010 through a program known as the Open Library. And that program is, as I mentioned before, based on a a novel legal theory, as I mentioned, is called controlled digital lending, or we'll call it CDL. Now, under CDL, a library or a nonprofit like the Internet Archives Open Library Program will scan a print copy of a book that they say they've legally acquired. Then they will make the scan available to be borrowed in lieu of the print book. Now, These scans are DRM protected. They're limited to one user, one copy. And crucially, the corresponding print books don't circulate while the digital copy is on loan and vice versa. The theory is that if you make the scan act just like the print book and only lend it one at a time, then what's the difference if the patron accesses the actual print book from a library shelf or a picture of a print book on a library shelf? Now, from the outset, authors and publishers were very troubled by the Internet Archives program. But I can't say that a lawsuit really felt imminent until 2020 when the Internet Archive unilaterally launched its now shuttered National Emergency Library Initiatives. And I'm sure our listeners will recall this controversy because it made national headlines. And basically, the Internet Archive for the National Emergency Library removed the one copy, one user restriction on its collection of scans, basically taking a pretty significant aspect of control out of controlled digital lending and thus making its scans available to multiple simultaneous users in the wake of the COVID-19 outbreak. But we have to be clear, part of this is about the National Emergency Library, but this suit is really challenging the Internet Archive's scanning program. Uh, It's really that they find that the whole thing is like just out of bounds. And in their motion for summary judgment this week, 
lawyers for the publishers basically argued what they argued, what they pled in their initial complaint, that the archive scanning program is clearly, obviously illegal. Give us a sense of what the publishers argue in their brief. Yeah, so no real surprises here. The publishers basically insist that, and I'll try to hit the major beats here. Uh, you can, of course, read the the briefs by going on the Publishers Weekly site, written a story about it, and all the documents are there. But basically, the publishers insist that the Internet Archive isn't a library at all. It's a nonprofit organization that's calling itself a library to shield itself uh, from liability so we can you know, digitize books and lend them on an industrial scale. The brief points out that the Internet Archive has scanned more than 3 million Unauthorized in copyright ebooks. Uh, Three million sounds like a lot, but it's you know a, a ripple in the pond compared to what Google has has scanned, including more than thirty three thousand of the publisher's commercially available titles, all without payment or permission to the rights holders. They also note that the Internet Archive has dramatically picked up the pace of its scanning too since the lawsuit was filed. But the crux of the case really comes down to the publisher's view that controlled digital lending is invented, right? That it has no basis in law, uh, not in the Copyright Act, not in case law, nowhere. No case has ever even suggested, they argue, that the Internet Archive's conduct of scanning and lending print library books is a lawful fair use. Furthermore, the publishers argue that the Internet Archive, in fact, helped actually manufacture this legal theory of CDL as a way to justify its infringing activity. And they present reams of supporting documentation from publishers and supporting statements that portray a commercial library ebook market uh, as robust and growing. So Overdrive, for example. And also that market is fundamentally threatened, they say, by the Internet Archive's efforts to create its own unauthorized ebook editions, which the publishers say compete directly with this licensed access ebook market that's out there now. Now, the sense you get from the publisher's filings is that they're really sort of shocked and actually quite pissed off, to my, if I may be blunt, <laughs> about the Internet Archives program. Uh, they insist that there's clearly no plausible dispute that even if the Internet Archive followed all of its own rules and standards for controlled digital lending, and the publishers argue that they don't, while the Internet Archive scans are still clearly free substitutes which are causing market harm to the plaintiffs and are thus not fair use. And this includes, you know, everything from denying publishers their due lending fees to other harms that would be, and I'll quote the brief here, disastrously compounded if the Internet Archive's activities became unrestricted and widespread. Now, how widespread book scanning is going to become in the next 10 years is up to debate. But that's what the publishers are arguing here. The publishers are asking for a ruling that the Internet Archives program and hence control digital lending is not legal. They want the scans of all these in copyright books destroyed, and they're probably going to want damages too. So there's quite a bit on the line here. Attorneys representing the Internet Archive, Andrew, are also seeking summary judgment. So what's their counter argument? So in a nutshell, in this motion for summary judgment, the Internet Archive argue that its efforts are legal and protected by fair use. And Internet Archive lawyers stress that controlled digital lending is, and I'll quote them here, fundamentally the same as traditional library lending. All the books in the Internet Archive's print collection have already been bought and paid for, they say. The Internet Archive would be free to loan these books by handing them or mailing them to a patron. The only difference, they say, is that the Internet Archive is taking pictures of these print books scanning them, in other words, and then letting patrons access the scans rather than the print book over the internet. Internet archive lawyers insist that they are just seeking to replicate the fundamental work of libraries in the physical world in the digital realm, and that their scans actually pose no threat at all to publishers. And they're scanning these books, they say, 
because the publishers won't sell them scans, but only high-priced, limited, licensed access to eBooks, which basically they say guts the mission of libraries in the digital realm. And it's a key point to their argument. The Internet Archive actually suggests that they have made great pains to follow the copyright law uh, and have undertaken this effort only because publishers are actually seeking to write out libraries in the digital age through licensed access agreements. So with the battle line so clearly drawn, what comes next? Sure. So we'll have replies, and then we'll have replies to the replies still to come. But the case should be in the judge's hands uh, sometime by you know mid-fall, I would guess, maybe late fall, depending on when the hearing is set for. And we should have a decision on summary judgment in the early part of 2023. Now, one industry source I saw this week said it was unlikely the case would be decided at the summary judgment stage without a trial. But I actually think there's a really good chance we are going to get a decision here at the summary judgment stage. Remember, the two big book scanning cases to date, both the HathiTrust case and the Google cases, were decided at the summary judgment stage. And this case is very much a follow-on to those cases, at least in my estimation. The twist, of course, is that in the Google case, the scans were made for machines to read and to make you know books discoverable, made an index. And in this case, the scans are being made for people to read. The publishers say that is clearly a bridge too far. And tensions are running pretty hot over this case. I can tell you that much. There's a editorial in PW this week by Keith Kupferschmidt from the the Copyright Alliance that basically you know calls the Internet Archive program theft. And as so often over the years, Andrew, this particular case is not the only one on your reporter's docket. No, sir. At the end of the month, I will head to Washington, D.C., where I'll be covering the antitrust challenge to Penguin Random House's bid to acquire Simon & Schuster. And before then... There is an oral argument scheduled in New York in the consumer class action case accusing the big five publishers and Amazon of ebook price fixing. Uh, at the end of last year, I think on this podcast, I wondered out loud if 2023 was going to be another year of the lawyer for the publishing industry. And as of July, the answer, I think, is pretty much yes. Well, it does sound like it is indeed. I'd almost forgotten about that case with the Amazon and uh, the Big Five. But we'll have plenty to talk about in and out of court with Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer. Thanks so much for joining me on the program today. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on the next podcast from CCC, New Frontiers Challenging the Status Quo. These are lifelong career ambitions for Vitek Tras, a serial entrepreneur responsible for transforming scholarly publishing with innovative companies like Biomed Central and F1000. This week, Sage Publishing announced the acquisition of another trust creation, SciWheel, which provides workflow services for libraries and their patrons. In October 2016 at Frankfurt Book Fair, I spoke with Truss about his remarkable career, which has revolutionized research and publishing, not only for academics and scientists, but also for the general public. Science publishing is vigorous and interesting and exciting and will continue for many years. I'm not at all surprised. I've never tried to append anything. I just had some idea and tried to make it happen. The Picasso of Publishing, coming on the next CCC podcast. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts. And please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening to this Velocity of Content podcast from CCC. Mm -hmm.